0: Author and neuropsychologist Dr. Rita Eichenstein joins us today to discuss her book, Not What I Expected, Help and Hope for Parents of Atypical Children. During this conversation, she talks about changing the language around parenting atypical children and honoring the parent journey. She talks about the pressure of exceptionality and how to look at your atypical child as a gift. We also further delve into the importance of existing in community with other parents who get it. If you are interested in working with either my practice, CAP Educational Therapy Group, or Steph's practice, my ed therapist, we would love to chat with you. CAP Educational Therapy Group focuses on learners with ADHD and or executive functioning skills challenges, and we are located in Beverly Hills, California, but we also offer virtual sessions. And the best way to talk, and chat is to sign up for a phone call on my website, www.capedtherapy.com. If you are interested in working with Steph's practice that does all the things and specializes in all the things in Redondo Beach, California and Palos Verdes, California, that's right, Steph has two different locations. You can sign up for a phone call on her website, www.myedtherapist.com. Both those websites are always listed in the show notes, and we are always excited when we get to talk to our smarty audience. And don't be surprised if we ask you how you found the podcast, because we're always interested in that too. Now, let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast
1: Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 205 of Learn Smarter, the educational therapy podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we have with us Dr. Rita Eichenstein. Hi, Rita. Thanks for coming on. Hi, it's a pleasure.
0: This has been a long-awaited episode for all three of us. We've been trying to figure out a way to get our schedules to align, and I'm so happy that we finally executive function this (laughs) moment into (laughs) happening. It was some persistence and negotiation, and we made it happen. But the reason that we wanted you to come on today was to talk about the book that you wrote. Steph shared a little bit before we hit record about her story with the book, which, Steph, I want you to share on air, too. So before we go and dig into the book, Dr. Rita, we would love it if you would share with our audience who you are and what you do.
2: Absolutely. First of all, it's a pleasure to be on your show. I listen to it and I think it's a real valuable service for people who are involved with children and who need support and who doesn't. So I'm a pediatric neuropsychologist in private practice in Los Angeles, California, and I've been doing this for quite a while. And along the way, I love what I do. I love working with children. I love working with atypical children. And I sort of was one of the early uh, coiners of the word atypical. I did not like calling these kids special needs because atypical is What makes our human race so diverse and interesting? We're all atypical in a certain way. And so some atypical kids get the benefit of being supported and others muddle through or they use their atypicality to create their lifelong plans. But I love working with the kids. After a while, I started to wonder what happens after I finish the reports? Where do the parents go? Like I would do these lovely sessions with the kids, write a report, do a feedback session with the parents, hand them this well-written report, and then bye-bye. And I always wondered what happens on the other side of that door. And so I'd follow up with them and I wasn't quite clear. And I said, well, let me look at the research because surely someone has talked about parents of Special kids or atypical kids, or what happens to parents. And lo and behold, what I found was not only had nothing been written for parents of atypical children, not parenting, there's a lot done on parenting, but there's nothing, almost, well, no, I can really say nothing, was written on the emotional responses of human beings as they become parents what happens inside their brains and more importantly this book focuses on what happens inside the brain of a parent when they discover that their child is atypical now bear in mind there was nothing in the literature at the time parents were all too willing to buy books on how to fix their kids Right? They will send them to your office and say, fix them, you know. (laughs) But there's very little that goes on in understanding their own brains. Why is this important? Well, we know core, core of parenting and raising children is attachment theory. The quality of the bond between parent and child is integral to how this child is gonna grow up and have their future own relationships and how they see themselves. Well, when a child is different or, dare I say, disappoints their parents' expectations, parents are going to have feelings about that. And if they're not in touch with their feelings and how to process those feelings, they've got to fake it. Guess who knows when parents are faking first? The kids. They know everything.
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah, they do. Mm -hmm.
2: So the next point is, is that the reason this struck a universal chord is because God has a sense of humor, and children are actually designed to disappoint their parents. This is like uh, biblical, okay? <laughs> so we know intellectually, A, attachment is core to building strong kids. B, children are going to disappoint. They're going to fall from grace. This is an archetype of pattern, falling from grace. You see it biblically. You see it in art. You see Cupids, you see, the imaginative, idealized child is these beautiful Cupids in Renaissance art. It's all over the place, and as we know from our kids, they ain't Cupids. So what happens? We know intellectually that something's got to happen, and we've got to support the parent. But what was actually out there before I wrote my book called "Not What I Expected: Help and Hope for Parents of Atypical Children"? Virtually nothing. Parents had no voice in terms of expressing their feelings. Are my feelings valid? I'm feeling terrible. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling no denial. So there was no vernacular. What makes it even worse than that is that if there's no vernacular or concept about how parents are going through the role of being parents and raising their kids, Who do they go to for help? Ah, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists. Hate to tell you, but there is zero information in our training that allows for the conversation about parents and their reactions as apart from typical adults. So as I talk about in my book, in my section on depression, I'll go through the sections shortly. But my question to the parents, are you depressed or are you being oppressed? Because we know, for example, parents of children with autism experience the kind of heightened stress that's equivalent to soldiers during war, and they can have similar types of PTSD. Is that transferred anywhere into our professional literature to train our clinicians how to work with parents? Nope. You guessed it. Nope. So, when a mother of three children goes to see a psychiatrist for depression, she is being treated equivalent to any adult female age 40 ish who's going through depression. Now, I don't know about you, but think if parents are listening to this, think about you as a parent and now think about a Same age, single friend or sibling or someone you might have, do you feel that your brain functions the same in similar reactions, responses, and stresses as that person? So in live audiences, when I've asked this question, I get, you know, a very unanimous, no, we are totally different. Yeah, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. It totally makes sense. So I wrote this book to give parents a voice. And so what I devised is a series of beginning through the end, beginning with pregnancy and even before pregnancy, thinking about what we expect when we're expecting, because this starts the story. And P.S., your brain starts to change right there, not just biologically pregnant women. Not just expectant men, but all types of couples or single people who are thinking about having a child. The architecture of their brain starts going off in a different direction. And it's pretty fascinating. So what we expect and we're expecting is a normal part of having a child. We conjure up a distinct image of our future child. This is our daydreaming mixed with influxes of hormones and neurotransmitters and what we want and hope for our child. And we imagine all those possible outcomes. If we're artistically inclined, we might imagine finger painting with our child or teaching him to go through an art institute with us. If we're athletic, we envision playing catch. Even if we had no specific daydream, the fantasy starts materializing when this child is born. Additionally to that, there's societal pressure, not just to produce an average child, but an exceptional one. The high stakes right now to produce an exceptional child are overwhelming. It's so wrong, but there it is. Let's point it out. Younger and younger, I'm getting emailed parents who want their child IQ tested, even at 18 months. And I say, go enjoy your kid. But there are people that are doing that. There was just recently an article uh, that Mensa accepted a two-year-old. Okay, so we've got pressure, guys. It's not okay just to have your average kid. I'm not sure that any of us listening could have withstood the pressure to be exceptional. We were just being kids, ordinary kids. And so there's cultural expectations. There is the part of our brain that's not rational. And what I always say about parenting is there's nothing rational about parenting. You can take your very well-developed, educated, cognitive brain and throw it out the window. It's not going to help you with parenting. If anything, it's going to cause you to overthink, to worry, to ruminate. This is what our frontal lobes do. They overthink, they worry, they're ruminating. The source of parenting comes much more from a well-endowed place of the heart. And people who want kids, if they aren't already, when a child is different, learning that your child is different, you're going to have a series of reactions. And experience has taught me, I can't predict what these reactions are. They range all over the map. We've got The plucky parents say, hey, what can we do? Or they may revert into denial saying this can't be true. Or they may revert into anger. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, who do you think you are? I know my kid better than you. Then we go into bargaining, which is, well, maybe it's this, but I don't accept it's that. Let me try. Let me see what I can do. And so I'm taking you through the phases. So I had to conceptualize what are these phases going to look like because since we were building from ground up there was nothing in the literature but there were the phases that Elizabeth Kübler-Ross had developed back in the 1960s on the five stages of grieving and death. So that's very morbid. But those five stages have been replicated and adapted to many things. So in me taking the five stages For parent reactions. That's not that I originated those concepts, but I did highlight the neuroscience behind the concepts, why this is neurologically sound. And so the first finding out there's something atypical with your child, parents will tend to go through these phases, not necessarily in order, not necessarily In linear order, so they could go through and then be thrown back. There's expected triggers along the way. But basically, I'm going to take you through the five stages and then we can talk about what parents can do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So first, this isn't a stage. This is admitting your disappointment. So that's like an extra thing that I talk about. So when a child falls from grace, you're going to have a little disappointment. There is no shame in this, parents. There is absolutely no shame in this. This is normal. And it's time to start learning to embrace your child for who they really are, not who you want them to be. Yes. That is hard. And the more impacted the child is, the more grieving there is. So are these stages of grieving? In a way, they are because you have lost something. You've lost your image of your perfect child. And that bites. But along the way, let's see what happens. So the first phase is denial. And denial, it could be out of order too. But if you think about it, let's say you're in the shopping market and you are pushing your cart along the way, all involved, and someone steps on your toe hard. First thing that's going to happen is you're going to go, wait, stop, freeze here in headlights. That didn't just happen to me, did it? So this is your deer in headlights phase. With high stress, you sort of freeze. So we've got the freeze going on. I call it the deer in headlights phase where it's like, you're telling me what? No, no. And so you see this sometimes in movies where uh, the person goes into shock and all the sound around them sort of blurs and you hear their heart pounding Mm -hmm. and they're not listening to what's being said because they've gone into their zone, right? That is denial. And you will notice that when you take parents, will notice this, parents out there, take your notepad to the pediatrician's office or audio tape what the pediatrician's telling you or your professional because I guarantee you, you won't remember it. Mm-hmm. You'll remember what you want to hear. You're not going to remember the whole thing. Audio tape it write it down. I like just audio typing it and tell the doctor, wait one second, hold that thought, get out your phone and say, now please tell it to me straight. Do that because you're flooded. You're flooded with cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone that's shutting everything down. Next, back to the supermarket. What happens when you come out of that freeze state? What's your immediate reaction is to look for the jerk that stepped on your toe and yell at them, right? So we're going from freeze into fight. You idiot, what did you just do? Luckily, we have a frontal lobe that inhibits our irrational responses. However, parents, like I said, there's nothing rational about child rearing. And you will get a set of parents that are hostile, Angry, attacking, or dismissive. Now, why is this super important? Because there is a secret, and I'm putting secret in quotes, uh, especially at schools, which is we love the kids, it's the parents we can't stand. It's not even a secret. Somehow, (laughs) parents and teachers have ended up on opposite sides of the fence. And it's a shame, and I want to tear that fence down and say when parents react angry, hostile, or dismissive, they are grieving. They are in a stage of grief, and they are going through a process of learning to accept that their child has differences, and it creates a great deal of stress. So the parents are grieving, and they're shocked, and they're scared. When the teacher or the doctor or anyone starts to point out your child is atypical, it's frightening, it's deeply upsetting, and you're going through these series of reactions. So anger is more, and I hate to say this, but it's more the male response. Males are blessed and challenged with testosterone and vasopressin. There's a whole bunch of hormones that are unique to males, biological males, and it will happen that that will come out. The next phase after the anger is the bargaining. So we know the word bargaining. What does it mean for our kids? It's the seeking solution phase. So now here's where our frontal lobe and our resources come into play, parents, because remember, we have that very overeducated, highly resourceful frontal lobe. Well, now's the time that it goes into play. And Yak Pongsep, who is a leading neuroscience animal behavior researcher, calls it the seeking system, which is common to all mammals. You're going to seek solutions, seeking solutions. And we go, well, we're just going to up, pull up our bootstrap, We're going to seek solutions. solution. But ironically, they're not going to necessarily go straight for the solutions that you recommend. Because these are especially, you know, the more highly educated you are, the assumption is I can do research just like anyone else and let me go see what I can do. Unfortunately, like I said there's nothing rational about parenting. Even the smartest, most well-developed people, if this is not your field or expertise or even if it is, trust me. The bargaining phase can inadvertently turn your kids into lab rats. So, there's a lot of snake oil salesmen out there selling phony cures, couched with slick marketing. And it's very, very hard for you to decide what's worth it. Even worse, there's anecdotal testimonials on their websites that say, "This was great, this changed my life. Well, that's all just for parent needs to hear. It's worth a try. So I'm here to say, not everything is worth a try. Not everything is worth a try. No, because your kid is not going to be a lab rat. Or please don't do that to your kid. So I get into a little trouble here when I encourage people to stick to the standard of care first and if that isn't working, hire a researcher, okay? In my book, I'm encouraging, I named two people in the book that had very serious illness children whom I interviewed and they actually created cures that we've all heard, you know, like Lorenzo's oil is one and the Charlie diet is another one that's very well known. These are people who they did. They had the resources to create and it helped their child. Now, well, most people aren't going to do that and if, there's no quick solution. So I really encourage if you're listening to this and you took the time to get your child evaluated to first follow the recommendations. And if that's not working, consult with the people that you know. So what I say, is it takes a village to raise a child, but it takes an army to raise an atypical child. Build your army. You are the CEO of your army, mm-hmm. or in military terms, what would that be? The general or the commander-in-chief. You're the commander-in-chief. Hire and fire. Fine, but build an army of professionals that you can trust, and let them be your soldiers in command. It's very important that you pick people that you will trust and that will give you the feedback that works for you. I mean, there's all kinds of values in place. There's healthy skepticism. There's parents feeling helpless. And be careful not to say, I'm not going to feel helpless. I'm going to create my own solution. Because really, I mean, there's like you, Stephanie and Rachel, you spent years and years of honing your craft. You've seen, I've spent years and years as a trained postdoc neuropsychologist really caring about children and homing what we do. They may not agree, that we're not going to get everyone in agreement. So I'm not saying, you know, agree, but find people that you do agree with mm-hmm. and stick with them. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens next after you hire your army you could still find yourself falling into the next phase, which is depression. And I call this more the female chapter than the anger chapter, which is the male chapter. So men are blessed with testosterone that in a way suppresses depression and allows more anger to come. Women will tend to internalize it. They will isolate. They will feel alone. My message is you are not alone. And depression can be seen as a phase that you're going to pass through. It's not permanent. It's a normal response to an extraordinary challenge. And depression is very common. But as a parent, you can be extremely overwhelmed, exhausted, and the feeling like, I've got to be strong for my child. I've got to stay alive for my child. I need to get up this morning because I've I've got to be there for my child. But that is running against you. You're getting run down. And then it creates automatic negative thoughts. So in my book, I talk about how to reframe, how to turn those automatic negative thoughts into positive reframing, and how to take care of self-care. Self-care is a phrase that is way said and way underdone. Mm-hmm. We all get our walks in and fresh air. We all know intellectually. Very few people are doing what they really need for their bodies. And so the most important one is cultivating social support. That's really alive. And I give you in the book Your Self-Care Menu. And ultimately, and when I interviewed people who were at the active stage of acceptance, This isn't that the problems go away. So that's a common misnomer. We got everything under control, now I can relax and be happy. Not necessarily, not at all. Parents who have experienced death of children or chronic illness of children that aren't going to go away or behaviors that are chronically out of control or medical needs that continue to happen or ongoing learning disabilities that are so demoralizing. To some extent, invisible. These kids are trying to pass as typical when their brain just processes information so atypically. And the parents see this. It's really stressful. But the neuropsychology of acceptance means that at some point you get to a place, if you're lucky, where the heart can expand to hold joy and sorrow at the same time in your heart. Hmm. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel grief and it doesn't mean you're not going to be mad. (laughs) It doesn't mean you're not going to get depressed and exhausted sometimes and a lot of discouragement. But ultimately, there's a feeling of embracing the paradox that you don't have to be pleased with where your kid is at to feel like you're accepting There's no contradiction between loving someone and feeling burdened or burnt out. Mm. There are ways to create your family in a way that's closer together than it would have been had you not encountered your atypical child. So I frame that as seeing your atypical child as your gift. This is a gift. And your atypical child is going to lead the way. You're going to find your strength to go forward is in that relationship with your child. And if you notice, this child has already been your teacher, your guide, your inspiration. So ultimately, I want to end on a note of inspiration that you can do it. You can make it through and giving you resources of how to handle it along the
0: way.
1: I love listening to all of that. Yeah. You just spelling it out. Here's all the things. And it's very much like your book.
0: It's matter of fact.
1: You can dive in and look for what you need. And there it is.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about being in community with others? Because I have found, look, that was one of the reasons that Steph and I started The podcast, in addition to expanding awareness and access to the work that we do as educational therapists, we also wanted to provide community for parents who often feel incredibly isolated because we don't post on Instagram that our child is atypical or has a diagnosis, usually, right? We're only showing the highlight reel to most people. So, can you talk a little bit about the importance of that?
2: Absolutely. We all have to exist in community. A community is our lifeblood. As human beings, we are probably one of the meatiest species of mammals out there in that we cannot exist without community. It's just part of what's inherent to being human. And when your child is different in the neighborhood or your community of choice, or your friend group or your school, you start shrinking back in a phase of isolation and shame. And loneliness, it's deep loneliness. So it's not that you can't be friends with anybody else, but you need people around you that get it, that are on this journey together. So together we build strength. So kudos on having a podcast because at least parents can listen and can draw support. It's also critically important to have friends that get it. So And you're not going to find people that have identical to your problems, but you can find parents who are struggling with atypical kids and can bond together. There's one group that I really like promoting. They're called Braver Together. Hmm. That is a group of parents. I like promoting Jason Lembeck's group called Undivided, where why he's creating resources for parents of all types of atypical needs. If you look in your own community, you will find it. And if you don't, let's say you live in a small town, we are now connected via podcast. We are connected via international. So if you look, you'll find it, but nothing takes place of flesh and blood relationships.
0: I think we've all seen that in the last two years of COVID, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, totally. So, and the closest relationship is with a partner, a spouse, you know, single parents, In a way, have it harder because of the isolation. In a way, have it easier because they don't have anyone arguing with their decisions. In dual parent households, shared caretaking duties, it can be difficult because what happens when parents disagree? This is very common. So it starts with that. And that's a whole section we can talk about. There's not often happy resolutions, but that's part of working the solutions out. What are we going to go with and how are we going to compromise? Parents, if you're listening to this, the primary caretaker should be the one making most of the decisions. I mean, the one that's taken the time to read up on your child's disability that's in the trenches. Because all too common, I find the parent that goes to work every day, is the one that's more in denial and says, well, kid doesn't need that. You know, back off. And a lot of times the denial lasts, and it's really problematic. Parents, if you're listening, play this part for the other parent that isn't listening, that hasn't taken the time to educate themselves about their child's disability and what that means. And allow Some surrender to the person that's in charge of the day to day caretaking. It's drudgery, it's difficult, it's challenging, and it's a heck of a lot harder than it looks. So, a lot of these parents feel like going to work is a vacation compared to what they got to do at home. So, if you're listening, please give a little shoulder rub to that full time caregiver. And if you're splitting it, give each other shoulder rubs. And and bravo. Bravo for splitting it. I want to say one more thing about community. And I'm going to quote Brene Brown here.
1: Yes, love. Please do. In The
2: Gift of (laughs) Imperfection, she says that shame loves secrets. And the more you hold in a secret, the more the shame and isolation build. And so while I'm not encouraging parents to parade around a flag, my kid has autism, I am encouraging you to be a little more open with friends that you feel like you can trust. And I know there's a lot of communities where this is just so hard and they stay in hiding and try to pretend it doesn't exist. But let me tell you, parents, staying in hiding puts more pressure on you than your actual child's challenges. Yes. Meet the child's challenges. Be proud of your child. If the best thing your kid did this week was that they put two words together, whereas they previously couldn't do that, and everyone else is chat, 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 chat. Be proud of your child. He put two words together. How do you like that? Mm.
1: I love that. I love just ending on that note of trying to stay out of the shame. Personally, we try really hard to stay true to what every kid needs and every family needs. But in the end, I know in my practice, I've had parents who've decided to open up to friends and then they've realized that they're both coming to the practice and Mm -hmm. seeing somebody and Uh it almost created this community. I had a pair that actually started to carpool To school together because they knew that both of their children were working with me. Mm. And it just creates this bond that can free so much of the shame. Yeah. And I love when parents get to that point. It's hard to get there.
0: It's hard to get there, but we're along for that journey, and this book is a great companion and guide for that journey. So once again, the name of Dr. Rita's book is Not What I Expected, Help and Hope for Parents of Atypical Children. We will link it in our show notes. You guys can go buy it on Amazon. And if you buy it on Amazon, go ahead and leave her a review Yes, on Amazon too. And Dr. Rita, how can people connect with you if our audience wants to connect?
2: Well, I've got a website, com. You can always shoot me an email. I can't promise that you get speedy replies, but I'm happy to hear from everybody. Absolutely everybody.
1: (laughs) I love that you're being real.
0: Yeah, that's honest. Yeah. That's honest. So we'll go ahead and link your website in the show notes as well. And so thank you so much for taking the time to share with our audience. And will you do our signature sign-off?
2: Have a great week, Smarties.
0: I love it. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Have a great week. Have a great week.
2: Uh, Be well. Take care.
0: Thank you so much.